Welcome back. I am Charles Musgrove, your host of Answers That Count, and welcome back. Happy New Year to 2021. We have the year 2020 in the rearview mirror, so we're looking forward to a new year, and we're in January right now, and we're talking to Rick Kaler today, and Rick is from Rapid City, South Dakota. Welcome to the show, Rick. Thank you, Charles. It's good to be with you. It's, uh, it's great to, for you to join us today, and we are Rick, just so you know, we have the opportunity for everybody to please subscribe to the channel. You you can hit that subscribe button, hit the notification bell, and whether you're watching on YouTube or whether you're watching on Roku TV or Amazon Fire, make sure to subscribe and get the notification bell. And uh, we're on all your favorite podcast channels as well. So uh, whatever your plat- favorite platform is, we're out there. Just check us out and listen to it. And we've got today you know we try to we try to ask the questions so that we can get the answers for the business owner that can they can help them run their business better just so they're better educated they're better informed and they make better decisions about how to operate their business decisions to make in the future and there's probably um, no better decision that the business owner needs to go through is to understand how to maximize the valuation of their business because their business is probably one of the most uh, the highest valued asset that they have, whether they know it or not, they need to uh, take the steps early to maximize that valuation. And Rick is Rick is a, an expert in that area. He has done valuations in the past. He helps people with financial planning. So this is a big part of what Rick does and how he advises his clients. So Rick, thank you for joining us today. I think uh, you're going to bring some great knowledge and expertise to the show, and and uh, we're just going to try to make sure we get those questions out there so you can give us the the answers that we need to hear today. So thank you, Rick. Oh, how cold is it out there at uh, South Dakota today? Uh, right at the moment, it's 43 degrees. A couple weeks ago, we had a week of 60-degree uh, weather, and uh, but it, it gets cold here at some point in time. We have winter for 30 days. We just never know which 30-day period. Only 30 days now, but your definition of winter is probably different than what, what ours is here in Florida. Our, our climate is very similar to Boulder, Colorado, which is 400 miles south of us, but we're on the east side of the Black Hills. So we get a lot of Chinook winds. It's actually, this climate is called the banana belt. Now I've never seen a banana tree growing. A banana belt. How do they get that name? I don't know, but we are actually that we're we're a little uh, twenty mile area of a, a kind of dry arid uh, a dry arid uh, uh, climate. So it's uh, cold and dry, so that makes it even colder, right? No, no, cold and wet makes it cold. Okay, cold and humid. So, so it can drop really low and it will not feel feel as bad as it does here in Florida where we have some humidity. No. When you, when you guys get in the 40s, it's cold. It feels like 20. All right. I'm, gl- I'm glad you said that. That makes me feel better and not, not like a, a wimp of the cold the cold temperature. <laughs> so let's let's dive right in now. I want to throw this this uh curveball out there to start with. So we have all of the rules and what we typically would do and how you would advise clients on their the valuation of their business and what to look for in a in a sale or a ownership transition in the future. So now we have the curveball that happens, uh, which is going to take place on January 20th with if we get the full 
Democrat suite of the House, the Senate, and the White House, then we could really see some some dramatic changes in the tax law that may affect what you would typically tell your clients. Is that right? That's right, yes. Well, let's go through some of those. So kind of pick those off. And if you want to go back a step and maybe start with what the normal process is. For uh, valuing a business? Valuing a business, because we're looking at that business as, as really uh, a, a keystone element in a business owner's assets. Yeah, absolutely. It's usually, like you said, the big asset. And um, it, it, it takes some paying attention to, especially when you want to monetize the business and you want to uh, sell it and uh, hopefully retire on the, on the proceeds or sell a portion of it and fund your retirement on some of the dividends. So the important thing to do, Charles, is to start getting ready for any transition years before the transition. Um, so you could start, we, you, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't roll out of bed today and say, I wanna sell my business right now today. I would, you would wanna do that five to 10 years, probably at, at, at easily five to 10 years before the, the transition date. Yeah, and, and it may not it may not have to be that far in advance. Um, there there's a couple things to look at. One is in the operation of the business, and the other one is in the book of the business. Um, maybe we should take a look at the book of the business first. Which maybe maybe if you started two or three years ahead of time, and you want your books to really be clean. You want to take out all of the legitimate business expenses that aren't necessary to the running of the business. So you you may be running a one, maybe you're you're writing a car off. Uh, let's take my business of, of financial advising. Totally legitimate to um, put a car into the business and deduct a portion or maybe all of it de depending. But is it absolutely critical to the running of that business. Well, probably not so Probably much. marginal on that. So any, anything, that, anything that's being run through the business, especially if there's personal stuff being run through the business that's not being tagged as such. Right, so you, so there, so you may have, out. so your motivations really, your incentives and your motivations change when you're running a business, not thinking about selling it versus when you want to prep it to sell. Because even though you may have a legitimate tax deduction that you run through the business, maybe that's not maximizing how the valuation is going to take place or be calculated to sell the business in the near future. Absolutely. When I was uh, appraising businesses, I would check for all of the potential personal expenses that were being run through. And I, if I was convinced that they were, I'd, I would do what's called stabilization of the cash flow. And I would take those out of the cash flow to, to look at what is the real profit here. But some of the problem that you have are, number one, some appraisers won't take those out. And number two, you have buyers that um, may not take those out, may not be convinced that they were really personal. Right. So you 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 end up hurting your valuation by having those in there, even though it makes tax sense. Right. So you probably want to eliminate any 
eliminate as many discussion points as possible. So if you can take those out, then you're not even having a conversation about it. Exactly. The, 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 the less adjustments to stabilized income that you have, the easier it is, the more believable it is. And at the same token, Charles, uh, I wouldn't stop taking legitimate deductions just to make the uh, the the books look better, better whether it's depreciation or things of that right. type. I mean, buyers will be able to understand uh, things like that. They, Absolutely, they took a hundred percent depreciation on a piece of equipment, right. and that's that's a real legitimate add-in. So um, uh, you know, don't be crazy about it. But start working to get the books really clean. Absolutely. And it's probably, correct me if I'm wrong, but let's say that you are, uh, maybe you take a, a trip that is marginal, whether it's a, a tax deduction or not. Instead of taking that, uh, expensing out that trip, maybe you have a higher compensation. Explaining a compensation to an owner is probably an easier discussion than uh, trips or cars or other things that are included in the business cost of that that is shown on the income statement. Yeah, that's true. And of course, the pushback on that could be well as compensation, depending on how much the compensation is, or maybe the 15.3% the FICA tax, which right. you wouldn't have on a direct expense. Um, but, uh, and you hit another point, <laughs> compensation. Right. <laughs> you want to adjust your compensation to reflect fair market. And this is probably the one hardest thing for a lot of business owners to do. Does that mean you're going to normally increase it or decrease it? <laughs> yes. Um, it, in some cases, you're going to want to decrease your compensation um, because you're taking out way more than the value of services that you're providing to the corporation or the, or, or the company. In other cases, you're going to want to increase it. And back in the days when we had a lot of C-Corps and we had the 15% bracket, yep. uh, typically the compensation from the owner of a C-Corp was over, overstated. Right. right. And the, uh, the compensation from an S-Corp was typically understated exactly. because we're trying to throw as much into FICA, uh, non-FICA, right? That's right. Do a distribution so they avoid the payroll tax. Exactly. So this needs to, it certainly needs to be addressed in your valuation. You know, a buyer might be able to understand that. Yeah, yeah, I get you were taking a $30,000 a year salary out of your S-Corp. You really should have been taking 100. I get it. And so the important thing to do, maybe you don't want to change how you're reporting your taxes, but you would, on your valuation, you would increase your wages by $60,000 or, or whatever, thus uh, decreasing your profit. Right. Now, a buyer is going to get that. But it's really important that the, the value of the business is based on the true market value of, of, of definitely the owner's salary. Right. Yeah, and that's uh, obviously when you make that adjustment, if you're if you're moving it off of the balance sheet as a distribution and showing it as an expense, then you're you're ultimately reducing the valuation because you're showing less uh, net income, less less EBITDA that's calculated uh, from the P and L. Exactly. 
and it can be a hard emotional push when uh, your salary is higher. Uh, for example, what, one thing I would always do as a business appraiser, I'd come in, I'd ask the owner one of the first questions, are you being paid fairly? Oh, no, no, <laughs> not at all. Oh, what should, your, what should you be paying? Twice of what I'm making. Okay, great. And when you did that adjustment, there's no profit. Uh, right, right. Right? Yeah, I and see that like, too. It's like you're, the owners, a lot of times they put extra work in for no compensation. They, exactly. And so an owner is oftentimes used to talk, and talk about their profit. What did you make? I said, oh, my profit was X. And in profit, they're including compensation for their wages. In other words, especially if you're a C, uh, C, schedule C filer. Right. It's just falls down what my profit was. There, there is a difference between the fair market value of your wages and the profit. And it could be, and this is more the case than not with small business owners, there is no profit. Right. When you adjust for your wages. And I, I would ask them, if you can go to work for somebody else, what would you earn? Oh, great. I, I would earn so much more. Oh, great. Why aren't you? <laughs> right. Yeah, that's a, that's an un, that's an uncomfortable con conversation to have with people that that hey, you could be making more money working for someone else than in, than you do in the business. And yes. that's I think you're you're also making the point that uh when you're involved in that that buy sell situation that you you've got to get the expectation correct also from the seller standpoint that he may think his business is, could sell for $10 million, but by the time you do those adjustments and show what it really is making, that maybe it's maybe it's half that, or, or it's a different number. It's a lower number than what the expectation is. Absolutely. It's just uh, crucial. And I, I, I remember that there was one business owner I was working with, and I looked at the fair market value of what he was providing to the business, and it was quite frankly, uh, minimum wage position. Yeah. And I reduced his uh, income uh, by 75%. Now that went to profit, but he was just uh, kind of angry about that. Right. That I was personally insulting his abilities, but all he was doing was a, a, a minimum wage job. Right. But that did increase the profit. Right. Absolutely. So, um if we were, let's say that the the business owner, they did this back a few years ago, and, and they're looking for a transaction date to happen in 2021. So if you're looking at 2021 transaction date versus 2020, then there potentially is going to be some different uh, rules in play in 2021 that we we haven't seen yet. So what what would you, what do you expect the changes from a tax standpoint? If there's other changes, then bring those up as well. But at, at a minimum, we're looking at some potential uh, tax changes in the tax code that, that most likely will take place or be effective 1 1 2021. Yeah, the election really threw us a curve because we thought we would know on November 4th or 5th what the makeup of the Congress was going to be. And uh, of course, we had the runoffs in Georgia that that kind of put things on hold. And we were telling folks, well, if, you, if you're selling, 
what was it in 2020? Because we, we know what the law is now. Right. And of course, the odds were that the the Senate would stay Republican, we'd have a split Congress, and probably the tax code wouldn't change. Well, that's not what happened. So what we know is, is uh, we know that um, President-elect Biden has um, uh, put out his, his tax policy. And part of that is, at some level, the elimination of capital gains. Now, Will that happen? We don't know. As we were talking before we went on air, um, Joe Manchin from uh, West Virginia is going to play a pretty big role in a, in a lot of what happens. Um, so I think if I'm looking at a sale, if I have even negotiated a sale and I have a closing, maybe even in February or March, I think I would be doing everything I could to move that sale up just as soon as possible. And I, I lived through the uh, Tax Simplification Act of 1986, so I'm dating myself. And that's when I learned that titles to acts have no meaning to what it really does. <laughs> there was no simplification. Right. And exactly. under that act, uh, at that time, I was a commercial real estate broker appraiser. And there were folks that had closed a lot of deals. For example, right now, if you've got a closing, let's just say in March, and uh, legislation is introduced, let's say the first week of February to change the tax code. And that, for some reason, doesn't get passed until April or May. It's highly possible that all of the sales that happened between the date the legislation was uh, introduced and the date it was passed or becomes effective as such will retroactively go back to the date it was introduced. And that's what happened in 1986. So a ton of folks that sold real estate and businesses and were counting on the capital gains, the law in effect at that time, just got nailed. So, so, so you're saying that, let's say this legislation passes, that there's a, there's a high high probability that 2021 we're going to have a split year that the first part of the year we may get the old rates of the 20 percent and the after the legislation is signed then the then it goes away or whatever benefit of that capital gains rate goes away absolutely and, and you could be watching that legislation and talk of, of capital gains being included elimination of uh, elimination not included and during this time you close, and then what comes out in the final bill is an elimination and, you're, and, you, and you could end up getting nailed. Yeah. So if, if you can close it before January 20th, that would be optimum. And absolutely try and close it before any legislation is introduced. That would be the safest thing to do to fall under the current capital gains rate because if they eliminate it and they're talking about moving the uh, top tax bracket back to 39.6 I think it was 39.8 we could be seeing close to a 40 percent capital gains rate and if you live in a state that's not Florida or not South Dakota and has um, a personal income tax you know you can be you can be looking at uh 50, 55% capital gains rate, say, if you lived in California. Wow. So that, so what we're looking at there, really, if it's 20% now, you could, you could have an additional 
tax of 25 to 30 percent if this le if legislation goes through to remove the capital gains rate yeah it could on the federal level it could almost double yeah there may may not be any change on the on the state level right but it, it could be significant and here's what i hope they don't do is eliminate the the uh, 1031 exchange right and there's talk about that yeah so we could be faced with a real mess here when it when it comes to uh, taxation on the, the sale of a business. Right, and the inheritance inheritance tax are talking about affecting that as well. Yeah, we've been preparing for that. We we helped a number of clients um, set up intensely defective grantor trusts last year, uh, back when it looked like um, the the um, nominee was going to be Bernie Sanders. And um, and he favored rolling it back uh, from say it's around twelve five right now the exclusion to three million right. Oh wow, that's big. That can really impact you if you've got a fifteen twenty thirty million dollar estate. That's a big deal. Right. So um, there still would be a chance to do that planning. Um, and that's something that folks should take a look at, especially if you if you have an estate, uh, say over ten million dollars, um, you still could set up uh, these types of trusts, and they are complicated. They have a lot of moving parts, but it's a way to use uh, the difference between, say, if they roll it back to three million, your know, three million dollar uh, uh, credit versus twelve million. So I so. Um, eight and a half, nine and a half million dollars that you could get out of your estate tax-free. Right. Yeah, that's a big deal. So, you know, we, we kind of pivoted from uh, positioning your company for a sale into the taxes and, and those those still relate. I mean, it, the, the capital gains affects that sales strategy. Um, if you were looking at it when Trump went in, back in 2016 if your window was in within the next five to eight years or ten years that would have you would have tweaked your planning strategy uh, based on who's in how the administration looks whether you're the Congress as well as the the White House so uh, that could have been strategy that you took in play took into account then as well as uh, what we're looking at now with the, with the Democrats and the potential higher tax rate so, all of that comes into play in your in your planning for your your transition, and you know it may not sound like a like a lot, but when you look at twenty to thirty percent additional tax, that's twenty to thirty percent haircut on your sale price is what you're looking at, which is dramatic. Well, it is dramatic. I mean, if if uh, with those proceeds, arguably you probably are going to put them in some type of diversified portfolio that may earn let's just say 5% a year over the long term. Um, well, if an extra 20%, 25% is going, is gone, that's a lot of potential earnings. I mean, yeah. it's a it's a big deal. It is. And it, it could be the difference between selling and not selling. Right. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. It, and it's uh, not that I'm pitching your company or, or what you do personally, but I'm going to tell you that it, that it makes sense to work with someone like you when you're doing these strategies because you may maybe you for as as silly as it sounds since we're talking about this but maybe you don't take into account the the federal income tax 
effect on the sale. Um, and that would be, that would be terribly, that would be a big mistake to do that because that really can dramatically affect what you get in your lifestyle after retirement. And it also brings up some other strategies. We've talked about the 1031. So I, I'm working with a client who's looking at a sale. And instead of doing a sale outright to this company, if this comes down and we can't move it up, we may want to do a merger. We may want to do a 1031 exchange for shares in that company and bid our time right. before we cash out. Exactly right. And yeah. so we'll get dividends on it on not only an extra, say, 20 or 25 percent. We may be getting dividends now on 50 percent if, if I'm in a high tax state that could have gone elsewhere. Right. That's a big deal. It is a big deal. So the bottom line is to make sure that when you're 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 planning this, that you plan for it far enough in advance. And it also if you plan for it far enough in advance, it gives you the opportunity to shift the final timing of that a lot of times if it's going to be in a high uh, tax rate administration or whether you can defer that till after they're out. Absolutely. And Charles, I'll bring up one other thing I see with small businesses that have a lot of family. Right. This is when you want to make, you might want to start five to 10 years ahead of time. Because I dealt with a client that had all the, the top jobs of the company were filled by family members. And that really needs to be addressed. Are those family members going to stay? Right. Are they not? How is a new buyer going to look at that? And it, and you really hurt yourself if you're going to pull out key family members out of the sale. Uh, they really need to be replaced years before right. the transition. Exactly right. <clears throat> and maybe the, some of those family members are part of the the thing that you have to clean up to make sure that the financials look the best as possible as well, because maybe the family members are in those positions because they are family members and they're not the best skilled person for that position. Yeah, I had one client that paid all family members the same salary. Wow. I guess that uh, maybe that eliminated arguments or, or uh, conflict <laughs> within the family, but I doubt it. So, Rick, before we jump into another topic, we are not through with this. We've got a lot more to discuss. So unless you're on the radio, everybody just hang on and we're just going to take a quick pause. Uh, the radio audience will drop off. You've been listening to Charles Musgrove with Answers That Count. We've been talking with Rick Kaler from Boulder City, Rapid City, Iowa, or South Dakota. So just hold on, Rick. We're going to be right back. And audience, hang on. We're going to take just a three or four second break. Rick from Rapid City, South Dakota, 40 degree temperature out there. Let's uh, let's continue that. So we we are we've been talking about uh, how to position the company, both on the, the financial statements as well as uh, we're going to jump into some operations, too. I know that we 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 teased that earlier in the show and how the tax, the tax laws that are in effect really have an impact on the timing of the sale and how to plan for that sale if you have to go through the, through the transition in a high tax year or high tax administration. Right. Yeah. All, looking at all of that is so critical to, to get the um, company just as clean as you possibly can uh, for a buyer. Uh, eliminating all the uh, potential obstacles and making it easier for the buyer to see the value and maybe making it easier for the appraiser 
right the value yeah you want and to then addressing the tax issue yeah the taxes are a big deal and you know the we didn't touch on this and i'm not sure that this is part of the the discussion but we also have the the how the trend how that sale happens is it are they buying the the assets of the business or are they buying the entity itself so those also have an effect on on the taxes and both on the buyer and the seller so those are those are issues i know from a from the buyer standpoint they typically want to buy the assets of the business and not buy that the business itself because a lot of times there's there's hidden liabilities that they may assume when they buy the business the entity including the assets yeah that's always uh, an important deal it's a huge deal if um, you're a C corporation right which used to be popular I still run into a lot of folks with uh, um, businesses that, that they've owned for quite a while that uh, they were C corporations and that pr provides just a tax nightmare oh yeah and it, it's pretty important and, and this is part of this anticipation and planning that you can convert a C-Corp to an S-Corp. And you need to start five years or more ahead of the date of sale to, to make that most effective. Right. So that's another thing to take a look at. If you're a C-Corp, absolutely start that planning well in advance. And it might be a smart thing to do to um, uh, do that C-Corp uh, or S-Corp conversion um, regardless of whether you're selling or not. It just depends on your tax situation. Right. If I if I remember right, you probably have a better uh, recollection of this, but the you when you do that conversion, you get a four-year, um, you, you, you roll that income that's trapped inside that C-Corp, the, the, the additional tax effect of that conversion, you, you're able to take that over the next four years. Yeah, you, you, in effect, eliminate the double taxation. Right. That can happen, but it absolutely requires advanced planning right. to, to be able to do that. Yeah, we um, we don't run into that many uh, C-Corps anymore, and they are, they're just a nightmare to try to manage. Yeah, they, they were popular with the really small businesses uh, that took advantage of the 15% tax bracket up to the first 50000 uh, which was there forever and that was increased to 21 percent. so a, a lot of folks don't realize that there was a tax increase on your your c-corps on that first um, uh fifty thousand dollars and for a really small business that that's where their profit was that's what they left in the in the company it um made a lot of c-corps actually more expensive to own right Rick, I've got just in review. I've got if you're when you're preparing for the sale, you want to remove the personal expenses out of the business. So anything that's clearly personal, not that you should have been taking a tax deduction for those anyway, but you don't want those running through the PNL. Um, maybe maybe they were showing on the PNL, and when the tax return was done, they didn't take a deduction anyway. But you don't want those anywhere near near your financials non-necessary business expenses, clean those up and don't have those inside the business either, such as uh, maybe it's a, a car payment or an extra vehicle or it's a family member that has a, a car that they're running errands or running to the mailbox or you take an extra uh, business trip that maybe you don't need to take. Just don't have non-necessary business expenses inside the business. 
then you don't even have a discussion on how you've uh, normalized the earnings with the with the potential buyer. I once had a, uh, I was appraising a business that had no cost of goods. They picked up uh, refuse oil from uh, restaurants, right? Oh, yeah. And on the tax returns, there's a cost of goods of 20, 25%. I said, I thought that you're, you didn't pay anything. I don't. Well, why does this cost of goods? He says, it's me. I, I don't know. I'll check it out. <laughs> he came back. He says, that's my racing car. Oh, <laughs> don't say that too loud. <laughs> yeah, and it brings out another good point, Charles, is that there's things that you are, you might be doing you don't want other folks to know. Right. That you don't want to be discoverable. That's true. So you, you, want, you want to clean this up. Right. Yeah, because once, once you go into that process, you're going to basically turn your books over to somebody else to do due diligence to, to verify that, yeah, what they're presenting to me is is the truth, and I'm going to base my purchase price on those numbers. And another classic one is uh, taking not reporting cash, having a, a cash-sensitive business, and you would get, well, my gross is really about 25% higher right. because I take cash. And I would say, well, do you want me to put that in the footnotes? Right. <laughs> this uh, That would be something that the IRS agent may want to see that you don't want them to see. It's, and my position would be you have received your benefit by taking that under the table. Right. And you're not going to get that uh, in, uh, in the price. Yeah, you can't then sell that. So um, Correct. if you do, good luck with that. So, yeah, that's uh -huh. the... Um, and that's why a lot of a lot of times there's there's conflicting interest in how you present the numbers and whether you have a business expense or not. For instance, maybe there was although it's illegal, they were those that business owner you're referring to, they were somehow incentivized not to report that cash. They had cash, they could put it in their pocket rather than running it through their business. They didn't pay taxes on it, which is totally illegal. We're not we're not approving that or, or endorsing that. However, when they go to sell the business, they can't then take credit for that cash that they didn't report. So that's right. They, and it's a good good reason to start two or three years ahead of time. Yeah. Because probably, well, it depends, but it'd probably be a good thing to start claiming it. Well, bottom line, you should. Regardless, right? Yeah. But, Bottom line, you should you should be legal. You should report all of your income, whether it's cash or whether it's paid by a credit card or check or whatever. You report all of your income. You sleep at night, and then you're building your books correctly, and you you've you've properly reported for tax purposes as well as financial statement purposes all of your income and all of your expenses. Exactly. So we're about doing things on the up and up. So there is uh, the other things you mentioned was a compensation adjustment to the owner. So that may that may involve increasing or decreasing the owner's compensation. So anything else on the financial side that needs to be cleaned up prior to the uh, having the books ready for sale? Another thing I like to do is to uh, come up with a true sinking fund for the replacement of equipment. Um, the depreciation may not really accurately reflect uh, what's happening, especially let's just say you write everything off 
the year you uh, purchase it. Right. Well, you know, that that's that's not accurate. So, uh, and this is another thing that a buyer will understand. When you're stabilizing that income, uh, figure out, let, let's just say the average piece of equipment lasts five years. So figure out a, a sinking fund so that you're saving one-fifth of that replacement every year for five years. So maybe your sinking fund, your real world depreciation uh, is one half of what the tax depreciation is. Right. That is perfectly okay. That's very explainable to a buyer. So you, you want to make sure, and, and it works the other way too. Sometimes the depreciation is so low that, um, that it needs to be vastly increased because uh, uh, things are wearing out. So that's another thing to be really honest with and adjust that real world. Good point. Are there anything out, anything, any other items that, that should be considered from an operation standpoint? We talked a, a lot about the, the financials, how to, how to classify and how to remove things out of that. On the operation side, I would, I would just state the obvious that you want to uh, remove any inefficiencies in the operation of the business and maximize on those that that uh, result in the highest profitability. Yeah, sometimes we can get kind of um, lackadaisical with some of the expenses that are going on. Um, recently, I saw an audit that a person was paying twenty thousand for that could be done for six. Uh, it's a great time to really take a look at all of your expenses, and and here's the other benefit with that. Selling a business doesn't happen overnight. Right. Not like a residential home that you can pretty much count on 90 days and in this environment, it's going to be sold. My rule of thumb is it often takes a couple of years to sell a business. So in, in doing all of this, you can actually recoup some of the benefits yourself if you've maximized cash flows and minimized expenses. Absolutely. And that, you know, the, the industry that the business is in is really going to dictate the, the time period uh, that it takes to sell as well as the multiples um, on that sales price or on multiples on EBITDA. So the calculation uh, to determine valuation, if the business owner understands that, if it's an EBITDA calculation, if it's an asset-based calculation, if it's a combination, then if they understand that early on, then they they can uh, they can adjust the ways they operate uh, and do their financial reporting to best maximize the sales price when they do uh, initiate a transaction. Yeah, we we haven't gotten into that much of of then how do you price the business once you have the EBITDA, and there are so many uh, different ways to price a business. Far more um, rules of thumb, so to speak than with a piece of real estate. A piece of real estate is a, it's pretty easy. That's pretty easy, right? If you have a, a McDonald's or a Burger King, those are really easy because they're all so cookie cutter. Right. But most small businesses are not cookie cutter. And in some ways, the smaller the business, the harder it is to price because there can be uh, a lot of emotional factors in, uh, in how a buyer values it. And there are many, many times I would use three, four, or five different ways of valuing a business um, to come up with, here's where I think we're going to be. Right. 
And you know what it always comes down to in any buy-sell transaction, no matter if you're buying a piece of candy or if you're buying a, a new house, a piece of real estate or a business, it always comes down to a willing buyer and a willing seller that agree upon a transaction price. And that's no better uh, case of that in buying and selling a business. And one that is not publicly traded. If it's publicly traded, then then the formula is set for you. Sure. And it it can help you a lot of credibility. You as seller, you can gain a lot of credibility by showing the buyer how you came up with the valuation. Right. And if you can show them, well, here's here's the cap rate or here's the return on investment. And uh, maybe I took all the uh, hard assets that I have. And I figured I wanted 20% re or a 10% return from the hard assets. But on the, the blue side, uh, maybe a 30% return is reasonable. The, the more you can do this for a buyer to justify the, the price, um, the easier it is. The, the PFA method of valuing a business often doesn't fly. And that is the plucked from air value. Right. <laughs> I like that, the air. That That's uh, much cleaner. So, um, and if you can tell, well, when I do it by EBITDA, it's this value. When I do it this way, it's this value. Uh, you can start uh, providing some credibility to that buyer. Yeah, I think say, I think okay. that is so true. And I've been, I've, I've assisted buyers and sellers in a transaction before. And not only is that if the buyer comes up with a with a valuation, not only is it important for the buyer to be able to show his logic and the calculations, but oftentimes the seller will come up with, well, no, I think it's 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 worth this. Then, okay, well, the seller's the one that has the they're offering it for a sales price, but the buyer usually wants something lower. And then it's like, okay, I've given you the seller's calculation, which includes EBITDA, which includes the valuation on the hard assets. If your number is that much different, same thing you're saying there. Show me your calculation so then we can determine and either agree to not agree or agree to agree on those differences and meet in the middle. Yeah, absolutely. It's got to make sense. You know, one of the rules of thumb I used is is if I didn't put anything down on this business, can it be out of cash flow? Can it pay itself off in seven to ten years? Right. Just another uh, smell test exactly to see does this make sense because it, it's got it's got to be successful and it needs to be successful for the buyer especially if you as a seller are going to carry anything back oh yeah if there's a seller carry note on that you want to make sure they can afford to pay that or you may you may get right back in the business after they destroyed something it else to consider especially with the new tax code is there might be a cap. There might be a cap that says, "Well, if you make over four hundred thousand a year, we're going to do away with your capital gain." Right. So there could be additional planning here to that will encourage installment sales. Right. Exactly right. So there's a lot to that, and uh, the bottom line is to plan. And I think the um, providing that the transparency on the how you do the calculations, I think, is is critically important. Give us the, um, you know, we talked about EBIT. So there's the, the methods are going to involve, of the calculation for valuation are going to involve EBITDA, which is earnings before interest, depreciation, taxes, and amortization. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, then you're going to have the, the valuation of the hard assets that are there. And those are those are going to vary depending on what industry and what business it is. So but th- those are more uh, typically those are probably more objective because a lot of times for the equipment, there's going to be stated prices on what that equipment is or it's 50 percent of what the original purchase price was. Or there's there's more that can be more objective than the blue sky or the multiple on EBITDA. Yeah, and that can be a challenge. I will often ask the owner, give me the rummage sale value. Give me the, the auction value right. of your equipment. Where that is really problematic is in the case of a restaurant. Absolutely. Yep. Because um, what, what you buy new is there's nothing that, that often is worth less than used restaurant equipment. Right. Absolutely so, right. And there's a lot of lot, a lot of restaurants that are either selling or going out of business. So you got a lot of that to deal with. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yep. Rick, I think we have uh, anything that we're leaving out. It seems like we've covered a lot of ground in the in the discussion where we've gone through how to prepare for the sale, uh, what to look for in the taxes, how to time the the sale based on the tax rates that are that are in effect at that time, how to make sure that you strategize around that, the timing of the transaction, and how to clean up your financial statements, and just how the calculation is done. Yeah. Uh, the one thing that we don't have time to get into, but also needs to, to be paid a lot of attention, is the emotional uh, impact of selling. And a person needs to start preparing for that because a lot of us, define ourselves, identify ourselves with what we do and what our business is. That is true. And so how is life going to look like when I sell my business? True. Very good point. And you've got a whole section where you deal with the emotional part of of businesses. So um, nice advisory service there. So before we leave, pitch, pitch your business, Rick, give us a little bit of information about your business. Yeah, we're, we're, well, I, I, I recently wrote an article. I said, when I don't feel like talking to somebody, I tell them I'm a financial advisor and the conversation ends. I saw that. If I feel in a talkative move, I, I say I'm a financial therapist. And that's, what is that? So we do combine uh, typical consulting, business consulting, financial advising, investment advising, along with uh, financial therapy. And that can be it's simple as what do I want to be when I grow up? What do I want to be if I sell my business? Should I even be selling my business? And why? And, and how do I deal with the, the, the family? How do I deal with, for example, setting up uh, the, uh, uh, the intensely defective transfer trust? That is a huge emotional event because you're not in control of everything anymore. Right. So, um, uh, we, we deal with all of this in our typical clients or business owners, professionals, and retirees. Very interesting. I like that. You're, uh, you're not a financial advisor. You're a financial therapist. I am a certified financial therapist level one. I like that. Very good. That's, uh, that's a much more appealing opening line, and, and uh, you really appeal to people's emotions when you do that as well. So thank you so much, Rick. Kaler from South Dakota, Rapid City, South Dakota. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been a great show. Thank you so much for bringing the the nuggets of knowledge about how to prepare your business for sale, what to look for, uh, and how to prepare emotionally for that after the sale. So 
Very good tips. Very good information. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Charles. We'll have to have you back. We'll have to have you back for another show because you've got just a wealth of knowledge that you can help our our audience. I've often, uh, I've, I've not often been accused for being for a lack of words. All right. Well, good deal. Thank you so much. <laughs> and you have been watching Answers That Count. I'm your host, Charles Musgrove. Tune in next week for another exciting show of Answers That Count. Have a great day, a blessed week. Peace.